Well, this morning we have a real treat to hear from a friend of ours, Jeremy Gott, uh, who many of you know. And uh, we would love uh, to, to gather together and learn through uh, that message this morning. So, Jeremy. Thanks, Ryan. Well, good morning and happy Sunday. And, uh, you know, as, as Ryan was mentioning, uh, this, this COVID period has really been uh, both a, a hard one and a strange one, I think, for so many people. And, and the same is true for, for myself and my family as well. Um, one of the realities for us is that much of the time that we've been a part of the community here at Central City has been during the pandemic. And so one of the implications of that for us has been that we, we haven't had as much chance to get to know many of you uh, as we would like. And, um, you know, we haven't had a chance to deepen those relationships nearly as much as we would like to. And so given that, I thought it would be helpful to maybe just start, start with a little intro to who we are um, for you to get to know us a little bit. Um, so for those of you that we may not have had a chance to really get to know or, or meet that much yet, uh, a little intro. So my wife, Heather, and I live with our two boys uh, and our dog and cat in Clintonville. Uh, we've lived there for about 17 years in our current home for about five of those. And <clears throat> our 17-year-old, Thomas, is our, our creative of our family. Um, his recent creations have included a painting that he made by suspending a paint can from a string and puncturing a hole in it and having it over top of a canvas to create a, a, a painting for his room. Uh, he has recently carved uh, a bird out of stone. And um, we woke up one morning a couple of weeks ago to find that he had baked some chocolate chip and caramel cookies in the middle of the night randomly. So we encourage those types of things. Our uh, nearly 19-year-old Connor uh, is a freshman at OSU. He is in the Honors Engineering program. And uh, he has a vibrant social life. He's, he's made a lot of good friends, even in the short time just this year so far, and they do all sorts of things from frisbee golfing to ping pong uh, in the wee hours of the morning to um, uh, various other activities. And our only real concern is that his social life is so vibrant that, uh, that we're concerned that his studies might be lacking a little bit, but I think he's getting a handle on that. Heather is a high-end extrovert, and if you've met her, you will realize that very quickly. Um, she views even random people she happens to be on the elevator with as potential friends. And um, she would love nothing more than going into a room of 100 people that she doesn't know and just getting an opportunity to meet them and have small talk with them and, and so forth. So she's really well suited to her growing career as a realtor where she gets the opportunity to really um, meet with people and help them at a point in their life that uh, is, is really a, a big decision for them. My job is leading a team of process improvement professionals at Molina Healthcare. Um, and in this, I really get the opportunity to use strengths in both analytics and also kind of people side of things, where I lead um, cross-functional teams uh, to, to make things better in the business. Um, in, in counter to Heather's extrovertedness, I would kind of uh, characterize myself as more of a, a sociable introvert. Um, so it's probably not surprising to you that one of the activities I love more than any other is to, to read. And if you were to see the books on my bedside table, you'd see a lot of mysteries, you'd see some action adventure, you'd see some fantasy, you'd even see some narrative history. Because um, I really value the power of story. And <clears throat> whether it is uh, fictional, whether it's actual events, um, you know, I, I, I love that. 
And so unsurprisingly, one of the parts of the Gospels that really resonates with me is that so much of Jesus' teaching is in story form. You see these little vignettes just peppered throughout the different, the different gospel accounts. Um, maybe it is a man building a house. Maybe it's a woman searching desperately for some money that she has lost. Maybe it's a farmer sowing seed in his field. All of these would have been highly recognizable to his audience at the time. And just as a picture is worth a thousand words, so too these little brief stories pack so much more punch sometimes than even a lengthy treatise could. <clears throat> And so today, I, I thought we could start with a story. And this isn't, this isn't a Bible story, but I think it'll give us kind of a good entry point into what we're talking about. <clears throat> so here we go. Two young monks sit next to one another at the rough-hewn common table for the evening meal. After the prayers have been said, the discipline of silence is maintained, while all partake, partake of the soup and hard black bread. The two young monks smile broadly, as they eat and can barely contain their joyful mirth as they glance surreptitiously at the large purple bruise on one another's foreheads. A wizened old monk, fat and jocund, peers in from the kitchen doorway and says to himself, ah, it does the heart good to see the very peace of God. Earlier that day, young brother Remy had sought out one of the older monks as he wrote in the accounts for the monastery kitchen. Abba Martin, he said, Brother Hayden has besmirched my name in the company of several of the brothers. I'm angry with him and hurt. I think that he should come and make amends with me, since he was the one to offend. And yet I seek your advice on this matter. What should be done? The old monk replied, My son, I tell you nothing but what the good word of God would prescribe for this situation. So saying, he removed a scroll from amongst the rolling pins and read, My son... Uh, and read, and if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. My son, he said, you shall go to him and try to make amends. Now go. Perhaps you can find him in the bakery making bread. So the young monk ran off to try to find Brother Hayden. A few moments later, young Brother Hayden peeked in his head at the kitchen and said, Abba Martin, may I beg a moment of your time? I am sore in need of counsel. Certainly, my son, what troubles you, said Abba Martin, as he looked up from the account books with the twinkle in his eye. Abba, one of my brothers is angry with me because of some things I said in jest. He has been too easily pierced by harmless banter, and I think that he should come to me and discuss it. Yet I seek your advice on this matter. What should be done? The old monk replied, my son, I tell you nothing but what God's good word would prescribe. And he removed the scroll from amongst the rolling pins and read, If you remember that your brother has something against you, drop what you are about. Go and be reconciled to your brother. My son, he said, you shall go to him and try to make amends. Now go. Perhaps you can find young Remy in the street by the bakery. The young monk quickly turned to go, but turned back just as quickly with astonishment on his face. Abba, how, how did you know it was Remy? The old monk was looking intently at the tally of cauliflower heads in his account book and did not look up as he replied offhandedly, Did I say Remy? I thought I just said your brother. And seeing that he would get no further insight into this mystery, young Hayden turned on his heel and left in a fair sprint in the direction of the bakery. Meanwhile, young Remy had called upon the baker's establishment, asking where Hayden might be. The head baker informed him that he had left moments earlier in the direction of the kitchen. 
I think he was going to see Abba, Abba Martin about a matter. If you run, perhaps you can catch him. So hearing, Remy took off on a fair sprint. As he reached the corner of the street where the kitchens resided, he slowed only slightly. And as he shifted to turn, something hit him, hit him powerfully and knocked him to the ground. Dazed by the blow, it took him a few moments to recover himself. Pain throbbed throughout his head, and reaching up, he found an already swelling knot on his forehead where the blow had struck. As he sought out the source of the blow, he saw there in front of him, sitting in the dirt, groaning and holding his head, the very brother he had been searching for. Pain forgotten as they saw one another with smiling faces both spoke at once, so their words intertwined and garbled. The sentences they said were, My brother, I have found you. I was hurt and angry at your words, but I want for our friendship to be mended. And, Remy, I have hurt you with my careless tongue. I am so sorry. Can you forgive me? And after many instances of starting at the same time and laughing and insisting that the other have the honor of speaking first, at long last, both had said their piece. This was followed by some slightly embarrassed punches to the shoulder and by each brother wiping his eyes because, as they would later say, someone must have been slicing some rather powerful onions. All that being accomplished, the brothers heard the tolling of the bell announcing the evening meal, and so off they went arm in arm to partake of the Lord's gastronomical blessings often looking at the dark bruises on one another's foreheads and breaking out once more into spontaneous good humor. Well, the two young monks, Remy and Hayden, faced a conundrum. Should the offender or the offended take the first step toward reconciliation? The wise older monk, Abba Martin, responds with a resounding yes. He goes to scripture and tells each of the young men in turn that they should pursue reconciliation with the other. To Remy, the young monk who had been hurt by his friend's thoughtless humor, he quotes Matthew 18, 15. And if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. And off he sends Remy to pursue reconciliation with the brother who had hurt him. To Hayden, the young monk who had hurt his friend through a careless joke, the wise old monk quotes Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And he sends Hayden off to pursue reconciliation with the brother whom he had hurt. To the question of whether the wrongdoer or the one wronged should take the first step towards reconciliation, the Bible answers with a resounding yes. Here is no false dichotomy. Here is no either or. Here is a deep value of relationship as one of the greatest gifts in life. And, and certainly in that great someday, we will all be made fully like Jesus and we'll no longer hurt one another and we'll no longer be hurt by one another. But we live in the here and now. We live in the place where pain and sin are still a part of, what, of our experience. And in God's economy, in the here and now, I sense from these verses that the ideal would be for the one who gave hurt and the one who was hurt to race so fast to come together to bring healing and forgiveness to the relationship that they nearly smack into one another in their haste, as did the two young monks in the story. That they value the gift of their relationship so deeply that they cannot leave it in a state of deterioration as much as it depends on them. Because our relationships are valuable. Our relationships with our parents, our wives, our husbands, our children, our siblings, 
our relationships, relationships with friends and coworkers and soccer teammates and fellow indie folk aficionados, all of them. Our relationships are truly one of the greatest gifts of life. And as we read in scripture, this should be no surprise to us. After all, God describes himself as a parent. He's, he's uh, uniquely a parent to his unique child, Jesus, and a loving father to us, his adopted children. The people of God collectively are defined as the bride of Christ, and Jesus calls us his friends. In addition to our relationship to God, our relationship to, with others in the community of faith is to be characterized as lovingly familial to the degree that we're referred to as one another's sisters and brothers. So relationship is in our very DNA. It's way more about us than it is about me. Did you know, for instance, that almost all of the instances where the writers of the New Testament letters use the word that we translate as you, that they're using the term as you plural. You all, you guys, you together. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. In Ephesians 2.8, is you plural. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. In Philippians 1.6, is you plural. And I know we like to read these verses and we kind of think of you singular as me. Like, I've been saved by grace and I, I, a good work has been started in me and will come to completion. And that's true, right? That, that's absolutely true. But the thrust of these verses is you plural, us, relationship. And by the way, I mean, that's where the English language fails us, right? We use the same word, you, for plural and singular. And really, it's where our friends from the southern U.S. bail us out because that y'all sure comes in handy sometimes. The only, the only uh, trouble I have with that is every once in a while, one of my southern friends will drop a y'all on me when the context is clear that they're referring to just me, and then I'm totally lost. Um, but I, I just chalk it up to a cool southern thing, like uh, you know, the fact that mac and cheese can be considered a vegetable. So we're good. Um, relationship, though, is at the heart of who we are and the best of what it means to be human, created in the image of God. And it's because of this that we see God's heart for healthy, loving relationships throughout the pages of Scripture. When relationships are broken, we see his desire and commitment to see them restored. In the garden, our first parents turned their back on God. And so much of the story of humanity from then to now is a narrative of God pursuing us, God running to us to make the relationship right, even though it was we who had done wrong. This is why we see the term reconciliation so often throughout the pages of Scripture. And it's one of those $10 theological words, but at its heart, really, all it means is making right of a relationship that has been damaged. And it involves forgiveness and healing and a redevelopment of trust. So much of the great cosmic story of the gospel is couched in relational terms. God is our loving Father, and we set ourselves against him and said, no thanks, I'm going to follow my own path, each in our own unique ways, but we pushed him off. And the relationship was broken. We were estranged, and God was an aggrieved father, simultaneously angered and heartbroken over the implicit rejection of him that we had chosen. And in that moment, he took the initiative on himself. Though he could have easily said, they made their choice. If they want to come back, that's on them. He didn't do so. Rather, he acted. He acted prior to when there was any inkling of turning from us. He sent his son so that we could be reconciled to him, so that our relationship could be made right. God is a God of relationship, and where relationship is broken, he's a God of reconciliation. And we are a people of relationship, 
And where relationship is broken, we are called to be a people of reconciliation too. And I know that all that is very fine-sounding, um, but what does it look like in the reality of everyday lives? Because reality is sometimes it's not so clean-cut. Sure, we, we hurt others, and, and, and sometimes we're hurt by others, but often it's a full mix of hurting and being hurt and hurting the other even more when you're arguing about how they hurt you. Sometimes the hurt and anger are layered so deep and so intricately carved over many years that it feels like a hopeless task to try to untangle. Sometimes the hurt I feel from you is so deep because in it I revisit much deeper hurts from a parent or friend from decades past. Is it really so simple as if you're wronged by someone, go to them and tell them about it in pursuit of reconciliation? Is it really so simple as if you've wronged someone, put down what you're doing and go to them and apologize? Well, no. And yes. A couple of things to note. First, we are each called to pursue reconciliation in our relationships, but we can't do it alone. I can't heal our relationship on my own. It takes you and me together to do that. Reconciliation is by nature a two-way street, and there's the rub. Sometimes the other person has no interest in healing the relationship or making things right. And in those moments, I take a lot of solace in the wisdom of Romans 12:18, which essentially says, be at peace with each other as much as it depends on you. As much as it depends on you. That is a freeing statement. I don't have to bear the burden of somehow trying to force healing in a relationship single-handedly when the other person is resistant to that. I need to do as much as depends on me. And what is as much as depends on me? <clears throat> well, I recently read the statement that it takes two for reconciliation, but only one for forgiveness. Reconciliation depends upon the other person jumping in with me, but forgiving is something that I can do regardless of the other person's response. Forgiveness is hard, though, especially when the other person continues to do wrong to you, especially when they have no interest in changing, and especially when they're not in the least bit sorry for what they've done. Forgiveness is hard, and it comes with a cost, but it's also freeing. If I can forgive that other person for the wrong that they've done to me, I'm no longer a prisoner of that. I'm no longer ruled by bitterness and anger and wish for revenge, and that is freeing. It's not excusing or minimizing the wrong that they've done, but rather an eyes-wide-open look at the hurtful wrong and a decision to not hold that over their heads. It's an acknowledgement of the forgiveness that God has shown me and in thankfulness, a turning and showing of mercy to someone who has wronged me. It's a trust that God is a God of justice and will see justice done. And sometimes forgiveness even has to be serial forgiveness. If the wrongs done are done daily or the hurts crop up periodically, sometimes I need to decide today to forgive someone in the way that they've hurt me today. And maybe I need to do it again tomorrow and the day after that. Second, with some of our relationships, relationships, we may look at them with a sense of hopelessness. The hurts have been too many. Back and forth, hurting and being hurt over the years where the wrongs have become habit. We look at them and think, where could I even start? And we look at the instruction to go to the other person and seek reconciliation, and it just makes a ball of anxiety form in our stomachs. But even when the hurts are so deep and entangled, and even where there is little hope of change from the other person, there is still hope for you. You can make a start with you. 
You can start with as much as it depends on me. You can pray. Maybe start by acknowledging to God and to yourself all the ways in which you've been hurt by them. Maybe write them down and write down your decision to forgive each one of those things. Not because they deserve it, but because God has forgiven you and it can be freeing to you. Maybe pray for God to be at work in changing their heart, that he would work a genuine miracle of change in them, even as you've seen him do at different places in your own life. And maybe explore the ways in which you have wronged that person. Maybe write them down too and ask God's forgiveness for them and for the grace to change in you. And maybe look for a way to apologize to that person for the wrong that you've done them, as much as it depends on you. Last, some of this is pretty hard and heavy. Maybe, realistically, it's still a year or two out for you. But for now, I would say at least start small. Maybe start with a safe person in your life, somebody who you know who loves you and has your best interest at heart, someone who you sometimes get hurt by and sometimes do things to hurt them. Perhaps commit together to building a habit of going to one another when you've hurt them or been hurt by them. It won't be easy even so, but experiencing the healing and growth in depth of relationship that comes with it is priceless and life-changing. Relationships are one of life's greatest gifts. They are at the core of what makes us human, and in them is the richness of life. God values them so deeply that he tells us, don't wait, don't sit idly by when your relationships are unraveling. It matters not whether you were wronged or whether you were wronged, wronged them or some crazy mixed up mess of both. Take the step, take action, as much as it depends on you. And my hope is that we will, that we will begin to experience the freedom of forgiveness, that we will pursue reconciliation as much as it depends on us. And that maybe, just maybe, God will be working on both of your hearts and you will run smack dab into one another in your haste to mend the relationship. And you can reflect on it and say with Abba Martin, ah, it does the heart good to see the very peace of God. Well, this stuff is hard and we can't do it on our own. So let's um, just take a moment to ask God for his help because we need it. God, thank you for this day of life. This day that you've given us as a gift. This day that we have an opportunity to live in such a way as to honor you. This opportunity that we have to love and be loved by others. Thank you that you are a God of relationship, that you are a loving Father. Thank you that you've made us a people of relationship and given us the gift of relationships in our lives. We acknowledge that relationships are hard. Other people do things intentionally and unintentionally that hurt us, and we do things that hurt them. Would you help to heal our hearts in the areas of our deepest hurts? Would you help to give us a glimmer of hope of something better in even our most strained relationships? Would you help us to have courage to act, to take the initiative as much as it depends on us, to forgive, to have a scary conversation? Would you be at work in our family members' lives, our friends' lives, co-workers' lives, even your work, as you're at work in our lives. Thank you that you care for us deeply, that you love us and take joy in even the smallest fumbling steps that we can take. Amen.